the Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Yes. I've met them. Yeah. Takes us a while to get any traction. I'll give you that one. I don't like bullies. I don't care where they're from. <laughs> the end is near. We're gonna need some help. When you said we were going to open Wakanda to the rest of the world, this is not what I imagined. What did you imagine? The Olympics? Maybe even a Starbucks? That guy's brain is a bag full of cats. You could smell crazy on him. I care how you speak. Loki is beyond reason, but he is of Asgard. And he is my brother. He killed 80 people in two days. He's adopted. I'm Peter, by the way. Doctor Strange. Oh, I'm using your made-up names. Then I am Spider-Man. W Radio. Your information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 519. And I'm here once again, not only to help you have the best possible vacation experience when you go to the parks, but I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney and Marvel magic to you wherever you are, not just with the podcast, but with my videos, blog, live broadcasts on Facebook every Wednesday night, my books, audio tours, special events, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. Marvel's Avengers Infinity War is the culmination of 10 years of films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And the journey that began with Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk led to a string of blockbuster films that has not only defined the superhero genre, but has raised the bar of large-scale storytelling. This week, I sat down with Kevin Feige, president of Marvel Studios, and discussed not just his personal journey from the kid in Jersey who loved the movies, but the filmmaking process of bringing these comics and characters to life, meaningful storylines, characters, tone, process, as well as the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a fascinating look at the mindset, challenges, opportunities, motivations, and process. And it's more than a conversation about creating superhero movies, but it's a personal inspirational journey as well. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney, maybe Marvel, prize package. I'll then have more information at the end of the show about upcoming WWE Radio events, meets of the month, our night at the movies to see Avengers Infinity War together, your voicemails and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. This week, I am so excited and privileged to share with you an interview 10 years in the making. I not only remember the first time I saw Iron Man in a movie theater, but more importantly, I remember riding my little BMX bicycle to the corner store in Plainfield, New Jersey every week to browse through and pick up my favorite comic books. From as early on as I can recall, I loved how these books made me feel and how I would anxiously read through them time and again from cover to cover. I can still remember like the smell that the books had, that tactile feeling of the pages in my hands, and even some of the ads that I saw every month. And look, my sea monkeys were never really monkeys. I never had instant x-ray vision. I never learned how to hypnotize anybody. Charles Atlas, despite his best efforts, never made me a new man. I was still a 98-pound weakling, although I blew up quite nicely years later. And I am still waiting for those shoe inserts that guarantee that I will instantly be two inches taller. But what these books gave me were countless hours of uncomplicated joy. And from the very beginning, one character truly resonated with me. I felt like... I knew and could understand Peter Parker, and more importantly, he understood every emotion and experience that I was going through. We were both nerdy kids who were pushed around by bigger and stronger kids. We were both professional wallflowers, bookworms, and 
not necessarily very popular with the ladies. And while I may not have been bitten by a radioactive spider, I very much aligned with Peter's ideals of abilities and responsibilities. And this character and his stories, they spoke to me and they brought me into a fantastic fantasy world, which always left me wanting more. Because I didn't want to just be Spider-Man, but I wanted to see Spider-Man and be part of his and other heroes' shared experiences. And so I watched and I practically memorized every episode of the oh-so-very-awesome 1967 TV cartoon series on reruns. And at 10 years old, I remember tuning into CBS every week with my dad to watch Lou Ferrigno and Bill Bixby bring the Incredible Hulk to life. And I was so fortunate because I had so many like amazing toys and web shooters and ricochet racers of Spider-Man. And if I wasn't running around the house pretending to be Spider-Man, which I did a lot, um, I was creating stories of my own with my little Mego action figures. But I wanted more and I really wanted to see these stories come to life and be retold in other ways and in other mediums. And while efforts were made over the years to bring them to the big and small screen, I remember that Spider-Man TV show from the late 70s, everything changed dramatically and for the better in 2008 when Marvel took an incredible gamble on a relatively lesser-known superhero at the time and brought Iron Man to the silver screen. And every part of that venture was a risk, including hiring relatively unknown John Favreau as a director, as well as his insistence to to bring and cast somewhat troubled actor Robert Downey Jr. to play the starring role. And it was literally the film that helped bring Marvel from bankruptcy just a few years earlier to billions in revenue and a start of the process that would literally change the filmmaking industry for the better of everyone. And the man who helped shift that direction and fortunes of Marvel was Kevin Feige. Because for years, Marvel was licensing away the rights to films like Elektra, X-Men The Last Stand, Spider-Man 3, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. But ultimately, Feige and Marvel had no control to a certain degree over those films that were being made by 20th Century Fox and Columbia Pictures and other studios. But Feige believed in his little 10-year-old heart of hearts that Marvel could instead do it better and do it themselves from a creative and management point of view. And once they had funding in place, they did just that. And I have known Kevin personally for a number of years, and he'll share that story of how and when we first met and why with you. And we sat down together in California this week, not just to talk about the upcoming Avengers Infinity War film and the Marvel Cinematic Universe's journey to getting there, but Kevin's personal journey and story as well. Why the MCU has been so successful, the importance of taking risks and legacy and much more. And at the end of the day, man, it's just a couple of nerdy kids from Jersey just sitting down, geeking out, and talking about the things that we love. I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And hey, I know that you're listening, so... Thank you again, Kevin, for everything. I had two dreams when we started this a little over 10 years ago at Marvel Studios. One was that Iron Man worked. The other one was that we could build something that was as expansive and as experiential as what people who've read comics over the years could get. I had a lot of faith in Kevin Feige and people at Marvel. Do you want to give them everything you got? Because they're going to give everything they got. Just seeing the characters together, there's something viscerally awesome about it. And I think that's yeah. why the minute Sam Jackson showed up at the end of Iron Man 1, whether people had read comics or not, yeah. Who is that? What does that mean? Why is he here? And then Tony Stark appearing at the end of The Incredible Hulk. If I told you we were putting a team together, who's we? Those seem like just the tiniest of things compared to where we are now, but those were the foundations that led us here. There was an idea to bring together 
group of remarkable people. To see if we could become something more. So, first of all, thank you so very much for um, spending some time with me today. I cannot tell you how excited I am for today and for the week that is to come, but uh, this is a long time coming for us because I still remember the very first time we met back at D23 Expo when you came to my booth, and I've never told you this before, my wife told me, some guy keeps on coming back to the booth asking Ah. for you. I have no idea who he is, and he came over, and we were chatting, and uh, you know, and I admittedly didn't recognize your face. And you're like, oh, I said, you know, why are you here? So oh, my company was just actually bought by Disney. So in the back of my mind going, oh, he must be a janitor. Maybe, you know, he's a copy guy. And I'm like, so, <laughs> so what do you do for the company? And you said, you know, Iron Man, Hulk, that was me. And then you said your name. And I'm like, oh, my God, you are the biggest idiot in the world. But you were you were so incredibly nice and uh, to, to come over and say hi. Well, and, it, and, and you've not talked about it before, I don't think. Uh, and, that, and you were very uh, uh, gracious about it. But, yeah, that was the first – I think it was the first D23. And it was only a few – Weeks, I think, after the after the Disney had, wet, yeah. had had bought us, and I had all was already planning to go to D twenty three because I'm a Disney nerd and I was super excited about it. But then suddenly became Disney, and they graciously got us in there. And I walked around, and I was excited to see the WDW radio booth because, and I'm sure you've not talked about this either. I listened to your podcast, both this one. And the and the and your first one, uh, going back to two, when did you start that first one? Two thousand five. Two thousand five. Yeah. So I probably started listening to it right around then. You know, as I first started to learn what is a podcast, I can <laughs> I can look up things that interest me and and hear people talk about them for hours, which is why to this day I love podcasts. I would rather do you know I don't do much of anything because I'm a recluse, but I. <laughs> would much rather sit down with someone like yourself for 30 minutes uh, and do a podcast than be on camera and do a, and do some interview for two minutes. I don't like that. Um, But podcasts were great because you could get in depth. And when I was sitting around going, what kind of podcast do I want to listen to? Well, Disney world, Disneyland, the Disney theme parks, because for me, they, that's what we did as a family. Almost every year of my life growing up, and it it was my happy place when I was in college, when I started working in the film business. It was an escape for me. And a funny thing happened in my career that we became Marvel Studios. And suddenly all of the responsibility of a film called Iron Man was on us. And I found myself as the producer of that movie, as the president of the studio. And there was a tremendous amount of pressure, as you might imagine, to deliver that movie. Never mind meeting our own expectations, making Tony Stark a household name, beginning to weave together a shared interconnected universe, all of which was our dream. But the actual goal was don't go over budget. Don't go over schedule. Get the film out in theaters in time. And there was a tremendous amount of pressure. And it wasn't just that movie. It was The Incredible Hulk that we were doing at the same time. My escape, my keeping my sanity was based in large part on listening to your podcasts as I was driving into the studio to just be able to think about something else and hear about the parks and hear about other things, which, which would relax me. It would make me think about one day we will have survived this process and I'll go down there and I'll think about it. And how have the planters changed on Main Street and what's coming up? And that was when did uh, uh, Expedition Everest open? Yep, around that right around. That was yep. the big thing, right? That was the big thing to, to talk about. And I found it as an amazing, as amazing escape. And then a funny thing happened a few years after that in that my escape and happy place became um, uh, my boss. And, and it became, uh, it became a, a dream come true in, in a workplace and found myself uh, uh, meeting you at D23 and then a few later uh, meeting you down at Walt Disney yeah. World. Because you always talk about your meets of the month. And I was like, Mitch, could I, should I go to a meet of the month and just sit there? And like, what do they do there? That sounds so fun. Um, 
but I only get to Disney World uh, once or twice a year, and it's usually very quick, or I'm with my family. Um, but I felt like it'd be fun to, to say hi to you. Yeah, yeah. we had a nice night uh, over at, at Grand Florida Inn, and that story means more to me than um, than you know. But so, you know, maybe from a, a personal level, um, you know, you go from a, a film school intern to helming what is obviously the, probably the most successful movie franchise in history. Do you ever stop for a minute just to sort of, you know, take yourself out of it and pinch yourself, um, you know, in terms of what this all means to you? Uh, very rarely, because I find it uh, emotionally overwhelming. And I have a fear that if I ever stop to do that, I won't start up again. Um, but there was a time in October when we did what we call the class photo, which I'm sure you've seen where we brought as many of the filmmakers as were available, as many as the actors that were available, and uh, and just took a picture. And that became, that was very emotional. And that was really special. Because it was just those of us that have been a part of the movies. And to see all of these people who either had been megastars like Kurt Russell and Michael Douglas or became megastars like Scarlett and uh, uh, Hemsworth and Evans and, of course, Robert Downey. And everybody there was excited to be there. And everybody there felt like they were the ones that were just lucky to be in that room. No, no, no one more than myself, of course. But really... To see somebody like Kirk Douglas, uh, sorry, Michael Douglas, Kirk wasn't there, um, and Kurt Russell, really looking around in in awe. I said, Michael Douglas was supposed to be Academy Awards a thousand times and won Academy Awards. But there was something very special about about that event in those 10 years. And and in those moments, and, and here we are in our 10th anniversary, we've taken a little time to, to stop and do that. Um, but not much because I love to look ahead and I love to to think about what's next and try to forge new ground. I will also tell you that following part of your story from being in New Jersey and then you moved down permanently to Florida, I'm from New Jersey. I most rec- I, I recently went back to Westfield, New Jersey, yeah. um, <laughs> where I grew up. My kids had spring break. Uh, grandparents live in Manhattan, so oftentimes I'll take the kids – um, to Manhattan, they'll spend time with their uh, grandparents. I'll fly back down to Atlanta, where we're filming sometime. This time, I flew back to LA, where we're finishing Infinity War and some of our other movies, uh, and then come back to get them or, or, or meet them later. This trip, we took one day. I rented a car and I took my wife and my kids to where I grew up. And we saw the house I grew up, two, two houses I grew up in in Westfield, where I went to kindergarten. My son starts kindergarten next year. So I got to show him where <laughs> Danny went to kindergarten. And I went to the Rialto Theater, which was closed. Oh gosh, yeah. But I went to the Rialto Theater, not permanently closed. It was just closed that morning. And Black Panther was playing there and a bunch of movies. And, and thinking about myself as a kid going to see all those great movies that I went to see in the 80s and early 90s when I lived there. And now... And now movies that I have a part of is playing there is pretty is pretty overwhelming. But don't think I didn't think when I was there. Lewis from Scotch Plains <laughs> right up the road somewhere. Yeah, there's an easy small world, you know, reference in there. But you you talked about the cast and, and to your point, I even felt today during the press conference like they you know, they've done this a thousand times. They genuinely seem like they're excited to be there. And and for Infinity War you know, it's sort of an ensemble cast to the nth degree. Um, well, this, this, this—I uh, don't know if you recorded any of it, or we'll talk about it on your show. But the press conference that you saw downstairs, there's not—that's not what a movie press conference is usually like. <laughs> Number one, Jeff Goldblum being the moderator, which was a great idea that Disney had, and of course he agreed to it. And and how fun was that? Throwing ping pong balls at people, and then I'm—you know—we're halfway through the press conference, and I'm thinking. Chris Pratt is sitting right here and nobody he's one of the biggest stars in the world. And and no and the question hasn't come his way yet. And he doesn't care. He's sitting there. He's perfectly he's perfectly happy knowing that it's a that it's such a big thing. But it is it was it was very unusual and very special. And I was very annoyed that somehow I got a question within the first three or four questions. Yeah. You know, but when you have a cast that that is so big, when you assemble it, pun intended. There has to be so many challenges and, and opportunities to to tell layered stories from different points of view with so many different characters on screen. How do you sort of resolve and take advantage of all that? Well, that's the embarrassment of riches, both from the original source material in the comic books and now through 
18 prior movies leading up to Infinity War, that there's so much material to pull from. And it is our writers, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Marcus and Steve McFeely, Joan Anthony Russo, our filmmakers, um, that are key in, as you say, assembling it all. They are very passionate, not just about the specific films that they've made, but also about the entire MCU sandbox and feel rightfully so in ownership over much of that sandbox. So they, you might have heard the story, they, we had a development room uh, for about three years. It changed locations a few times, but basically a single room where most of us would spend many, many hours with pictures of every character on the wall and just start grouping them and just start riffing on where we want to see them go and what odd pairs, strange alchemy, Joe Russo calls it, strange pairings of people who essentially have no business uh, being in the same planet together, much less being in a scene together. But that's what the fun is. How will it, how will it work when, uh, when uh, 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 Peter Quill meets Thor? You've seen some of that in the trailers. But that's, that's the fun. And making sure that on top of all of that, you don't get buried in it. And that you make sure, and this is what Chris and Steve are so good at, you use all of it to service a single narrative and the actual storyline that you're telling. And that's what they did so well in Civil War and The Winter Soldier and, and going back to the first Avenger. And that's what I think they've done a tremendous job at in uh, Infinity War. So at what point, you know, in the MCU, do you realize, because obviously, you know, Iron Man, to, you, to your point, was a, a risk and it was a gamble on many levels. At what point do you realize that you're starting to head down this road to Infinity War, maybe consciously or subconsciously, you know, planting the seeds that that bring us here. Well, the yes, Iron Man one, which by the way people forget, was an independent film. It was independently financed. Uh, it had to be. It had to have a, a foreign sales uh, beforehand, and I spent a lot of time pitching uh, foreign uh, distributors on it. It had a what's called a completion bond, which is a bank that will oversee it to make sure you don't get over budget. If you go too far, too far over budget, they'll they'll step in and take over the movie. That's what happens on on independent movies. Um, thankfully, Iron Man was successful enough that the other ones we we financed, and then of course became part of Disney. Um, it was after that that we announced our next group of movies, which was the first Thor, the first Cap, a sequel to Iron Man, and the Avengers. And for us, that was the biggest swing. That was the biggest swing we could have ever dreamed of, was being able to introduce all these characters and then put them together in a single movie. And that was by no means a done deal or an easy deal. And even when we announced it, I remember thinking, here it comes. We're announcing the big one. We're announcing the big swing. And it was like, chirp, chirp. Nobody... I don't know if people understand it or didn't believe it. Opening weekend of Avengers, they believed it and it and it worked. And it was then that we started thinking about phase two, which primarily was not just continue the stories of characters we had already introduced, another Cap movie, another Iron Man movie, another Thor movie, but just as important, introduce new characters. And of course, uh, most prominently, Guardians of the Galaxy came out of that. So it was always important to us to keep introducing new characters to bring as much of the Marvel comics to the screen as we, as we could. And it was after Joss Whedon wrote, and then Thanos turns around and smiles at the end of the Avengers draft um, that we start to realize he could be, he could be the, the infinity gauntlet storyline of which Thanos is the primary player could be somewhere to head in the future. Could be another, if the first Avengers and Loki causing all sorts of problems and requiring the Avengers to come together the first time was our first sort of goal marker. Thanos became even further out a possibility for us. But we needed more characters on the screen before we could we could dare um, send Thanos in there. So other than his little appearance at the end of the first Avengers, his little appearance in Guardians and the end of Ultron, we wanted to wait to bring him back in a big way and to make his presence felt instantly um, at the beginning of, of Infinity War, which the specifics of breaking that story took about three years. But it was even another year or two before that that we decided we knew where we wanted to head. And, and in fact, it needed to be two movies. That was about five years ago. Yeah, so obviously Thanos is, is the 800-pound purple gorilla in the room. And sort of the sense that I get from knowing a little bit about the comics and what we get from the trailers 
is it reminds me of sort of a, a 70s heist film. You know, they have something that he wants and he's coming in to get it. And this time he's going to he's going to do it himself. Did you and the filmmakers and, and the actors, did you take any inspiration from that genre, any of the other genres as you were sort of pulling this, this story together? Yeah, we love I always say I don't believe in the in the comic book genre or the superhero genre. Um, I believe in putting these extraordinary heroes into other genres. And, you know, most most apparently sort of a techno thriller of, of Iron Man or Iron Man 2, a, uh, a fantasy, you know, a, a, an outer space fantasy with Thor, a space opera with Guardians, a 70s political thriller with The Winter Soldier. A heist movie, more, much more directly, I think, was the first Ant-Man film, which really had those heist elements because you think about Ocean's Eleven or the best of the heist movies, and there's a lot of intricate planning involved and pulling one over on on authority figures and things like that. I would say there are elements to that in this movie, but Thanos is much more of a smash-and-grab type of person. <laughs> he will smash into the front of the jewelry <laughs> store and bash out everything he wants. Um so that so it really was in a much a much more unique way the genre of Infinity War. It, it, it's hard to find a comparison, and when we look at the scope and the scale and the sweeping nature of the of the story we want to tell, it really does you know go to things for us like like Lord of the Rings um, in terms of a, a quest movie, in terms of a a movie that spans multiple characters in multiple lands. Um, Leading to leading to to these very big events, um, uh, Lawrence of Arabia was something that at least visually uh, was something that Joan Anthony Russo talked a lot about in terms of the uh, the production design that Charles Wood uh, started to use as as inspiration as a starting point for this film. Well, and so you know, to me, and sort of looking back on on the films of the MCU, which I've watched and my family watched, you know, countless times. I don't look at them as as superhero movies because they're really, to me, they're they're relationship movies. Um, they are. It's about friendships and daddy issues are rampant throughout these films, um, as well as trust and loss. So, do you approach sort of the hero's personal journey first, and then you know the kick butt battle scenes? Because sometimes I think for some of these characters, the biggest villains are their own personal demons. Yeah, and certainly what what John Favreau and Robert Downey did with the first Iron Man film uh, is the perfect example of that. We always said we wanted Tony Stark, and that became the template for all of our movies, that their true personas should be as interesting, if not more so, than when they're in the costume. That's where the heart of the story, and by the way, that's what the Marvel comics are all about. That is the the human flaws of the characters is what makes them special. You know what's really cool? Spider-Man can flip a web uh, uh, um, and swing around. That's great. And climb buildings. Super cool. The reason we all still talk about Spider-Man after 50, 60 years is because he's just a teenage kid in high school in Queens who is trying to balance his life and his homework and, 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 and his home life and his love life. That is why we still remember Spider-Man. And that is why all of the Marvel characters, I think, have uh, have lasted as long as they if they have. So that was always going to be our starting point for all of the movies, and and one of the reasons we decided that Iron Man should be the first one out of the gate because Tony Stark has such a compelling has such a compelling story. And very quickly, you know, I'm a huge Spider Man fan. Tom Holland is he's not just Spider Man; he is Peter Parker. It was a very special thing, and 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 I look at a. At the last 10 years and, and every year, multiple times a year, incredible things happen for us and incredible um, things. And there is a certain amount of luck required. Um, making a deal with Amy Pascal and Tom Rothman at Sony to bring Spider-Man into the MCU um, was, was a big deal. Wouldn't have happened without them. And there was a lot of trust that they put in us. Finding Tom Holland... <laughs> Was a luck, was a miracle. Um, we knew we wanted a Peter Parker who was younger than the previous Peter Parkers, who was as close to the actual age of the character as we could do. We also knew we wanted to do a younger version of the character than had been done on screen before. All of those decisions led to perhaps opening a, an angle of, uh, of casting that we hadn't looked at before. But finding Tom was, uh, was no pun intended, amazing. Yeah. And, and the bond that he's formed 
both on and off camera with Robert, what Peter has formed with Tony Stark that we've seen over two movies now and will continue in Infinity War is is really something very, very special. And, and uh, you know, had you asked me this a year or so ago, I would say might be the high point after Iron Man of, uh, of what we've done. Uh, Captain America, a character that when I was doing those meetings with foreign buyers that I told you about years before, they would say, oh, we're not interested in, he wears an American flag. Oh, that's not going to play in anywhere else in the world. And we kept saying, well, it's not about the flag. It's about Steve Rogers. It's about this, this kid, this scrawny kid who wants to do what's right. And once he gets the chance to do it, he takes it very seriously. And he could do this all day. And he was a hero before he had the body to become a hero. And now, without exaggeration, Captain America is one of the most popular characters around the world. And I think a lot of that is because of Chris Evans' portrayal of, of, Steve, of Steve Rogers. Um, but bringing Spidey into the MCU was, uh, was, a, was a high point for me and something I never dreamed possible until Black Panther came out in February. And the way it was received around the world and what Ryan Coogler was able to do and the struggles and the questions and the, and the uh, history that he wanted to, uh, that he thought about his whole life, putting what he put into that movie, what Chadwick was able to do and Denai and Lupita and Letitia and, uh, and uh, Winston and Martin Freeman. I mean, it's just, it's, it's remarkable. And the fact that the movie is so good and turned out so well and was embraced around the world, which set aside uh, notions that people had had for years that uh, movies with Africans or African-American uh, leads won't play, won't play around the country, won't play around the world. And to, and to, and to destroy a myth so um, definitively is uh, is pretty is pretty incredible, and then knowing that for us, and I hope for all of Hollywood, but just for us that we can control, knowing that it, that's not a one off. That's the beginning, in front of and behind the camera, of the way the MCU is going to be portrayed going forward. Right, an important film, not just for the MCU, but filmmaking. You know, history is going to look back on Black Panther five, ten years from now, it very significantly. But you know, Homecoming and Black Panther and Cap. And Guardians, the tone of all those films are very, very different. Um, you know, some operate, you know, as part of a grander story. Some operate, you know, like Ant-Man can just sort of exist. How do you sort of reconcile that in a film like Infinity War, where the tones of the ones that came before it are so different? Uh, it, that, that again, is the fun part. That's the strange alchemy that... Uh, that uh, and, I think, and I think you've seen versions of it in, in many of our other films. Civil War is pretty serious and gets pretty dark in places. Tony Stark see literally sees the murder of his parents and and learns the truth about what happened to his parents. It's dark. At the same time, Peter Parker and Scott Lang are these fanboys that find themselves in the middle of this giant fight and they don't necessarily have the emotional stakes that the other characters do and it you know and it and it brings a lot of fun to the forefront. Um again, Chris and Steve, Joe and Anth, and what they were able to do with it. That very specifically continues in Infinity War, where you have things that I think are as funny as anything we've put in a movie before, and at the same time, mainly due to Josh Brolin and his uh, and his portrayal of the Mad Titan Thanos, you know, there's some there's some dark things <laughs> that occur, uh, but but riding that line and, and finding the balance there, again going back to John Favreau and Mr. Downey on. Iron Man One, hilarious mm. things. He's talking to a robot that's spraying him with, with a with a fire extinguisher. But then later, you see a man struggling with his past and with what he's done, and and uh, and realizing that it's still continuing. And and uh, and Pepper Potts is saying, "I can't support you doing this." And he's like, "I finally know what I have to do, and I know it's, I know it's right." And I get choked up during that because it's Downey crushes it, and it's mm. a serious thing. Those are all in the same movie because. We want to take the audience, uh, you know, to the peaks and valleys, bring them, bring them a whole. My, my favorite movies um, are the ones that can do both. And it's not easy to do both, right. but that's what we can try. And it's a testament to the actors themselves. Look, I'm, I'm super excited to see Thanos. You know, Josh has gone from, from Goonie to Thanos. So it's, I'm very curious to see how that's changed. But, you know, this obviously it's, it's Earth's mightiest ensemble cast. 
and the actors are the ones who make this. How much of it of this is an ensemble process? Do the actors um, have on their characters and, and script changes and things that might just feel right for them, not as Spider Man, but as Peter Parker or as Tony Stark? Oh yeah, I think it's. I think it. You always hear people say film is a collaborative medium. That's a hundred percent true. I think it's. Uh, um, uh, more true at Marvel Studios than than anywhere else, perhaps. And when you have actors that have played the characters as long as they have, they're all going to have a point of view, and they're all going to have, um, in most cases, a better way of of doing things, um, or a better way of saying something, or at least we'll try something. And Joe and Anth encourage that, and we encourage that because it oftentimes um, leads to something better than uh, than you originally had. And I think, uh, and I think all of that uh, is what is what the MCU is, is about and is why, you know, we've done 19 films and yet can have a, a rowdy group of, of, uh, of collaborators downstairs and everybody's friendly and everybody's having a good time and everybody is, uh, is, uh, is happy to be there. And, you know, we're talking about the 19th film, what, you know, it's all sort of come down to this, but I know that you already are many, many steps ahead in terms of the storytelling. I know you are a fellow Star Trek fan as well. You remember the final episode of Next Generation, All Good Things. Yes. You know, so you are sort of, to a certain degree, you know, Avengers Untitled 4 is sort of all good things. But I, I imagine it's not a place where, you know, a story is going to end and it's time to reboot. It's when Captain Picard actually sits down and plays cards with the crew and gives you a chance to um, open up a new chapter of, of Marvel storytelling. Well, that, yeah, that is, you'd be surprised how many people don't understand that reference <laughs> anymore <laughs> about next gen i realized what are you talking about and i go oh that was 25 years ago oh, no, i'm I an old man old <laughs> yeah oh what happened um uh but i think it's important that that you know the all stories have a beginning middle and an end and a lot of stories based on comics have never had that before because they'll be you know, in, you know, good versions and then it change an actor and it continues a version. You know, uh, James Bond, an amazing, amazing franchise and one that I admire greatly for how long it has uh, it has lasted and stayed top of game, completely relevant. That is that is astounding. Um, but with this, with 22 films in just over 10 years, it felt like we needed to have a conclusion. And there were other Picard stories after <laughs> After all good things, but they had a conclusion with with all good things, and I can think about them at that poker game and envision you know what they did what they did after that, independent of the <clears throat> whatever three or four films they had. So I think yes, the MCU will certainly continue. There are far more stories to be told with characters that we've already introduced. I hope there are many stories to be told with characters from the comics that we have yet to introduce. But the narrative, as started in all the films we've been talking about today. Um, having a a conclusion and coming to a, to an end uh, next year in in, uh, in Untitled Avengers felt like the right way to manage the story. We do have plans after that. We're working on movies after that, and there will be and there will be the continuation of those characters, but they will be in new and fresh and different ways that start a new run that perhaps will culminate. For all I know, a decade <laughs> down the line after that. Yeah, I get the sense that you're sort of painting not on a flat canvas, but on a an ever expanding balloon. And there's lots of other. You know, Walt stories. Disney once said, "Disney will never be done as long as there's imagination left in the world." Maybe the MCU, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so again, just sort of circling back to you, um, you know, do you have? Is does Kevin Feige, does ten year old Kevin Feige, have? a favorite character or a favorite villain that he is just so he looks back on the past now 19 films and is super excited to see on screen or would maybe like to see on screen going forward. There are, I mean, for years and years, uh, Dr. Strange and Black Panther and Hela and uh, Groot were the answers to those. And Thanos were the answers to those questions. Um, and we've done so much of it now. There are lots of characters in the comics that I still feel that same way about. Um, but if I mention them suddenly, that'll become the rumor for exactly <laughs> right. what we're doing. It's really important to us. We did a big presentation, gosh, four, four years ago or so, um, where we announced a slate of 10 films, 
A couple ended up being added to that. But at the time, it was 10 films leading through um, uh, what at the time was Infinity War Part Two, and now is Untitled Avengers. Um, we, I, we haven't done that yet. We haven't completed that yet. We haven't fit, fulfilled that promise yet. So that is where our energies are going, and that's what we want the attention to be on. We're always thinking ahead. We have ideas past that. But we're not going to announce any of those ideas until we've finished what we promised. And uh, and that starts on Friday when Infinity War is released. Yeah, and, and listen, I could talk to you all day about this because, look, one of the things that I love about you personally, I love what you're doing, is – you know, the risks that you've been taking going back to Iron Man, uh, I, I think it's incredibly inspirational. I think history is going to, and if I can sort of fanboy on you a little bit, history is going to look back on you and what you have created and, you know, add you to a list of people that have truly impacted cinematic history. You know, your name is going to be mentioned with the Chaplins and the Hitchcocks <laughs> and the Spielbergs because, because you have not just set, but continue to raise that bar of excellence in, in what you do. And I think very much like, you know, Disney himself, that is what you continue to do with the stories that you tell. Well, it's very nice of you, Lou. The truth is I um, and many of us at Marvel Studios, who without whom none of these movies would, would happen and who work on the movies day in and day out, uh, are just the current stewards of these characters who came long before us and will continue long after us but it's just darn exciting to be uh, to be a part of them now well i and my family and i get choked up because i'm so grateful for what you have created and helped create and what you have brought to the screen and and the joy that you've brought to so many people well, very nice lou keep the podcast going <laughs> i uh maybe i'll show up at a meet of the month one day uh but i i, I love it and that you moved down there and that it's and that you've made it your career is really cool and i think probably inspires a lot of people and inspires me, and uh, and I like getting. I have some inside scoops of what's going on, but not not many when it comes to theme parks. Um, but you bring it from the fan perspective, which is what's so nice. And what is we're uh, just a couple of kids from Jersey that follow their dreams. Right? A couple of Jersey kids, absolutely right. Thanks for coming out here, Lou. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week. I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details, sometimes in what you see, sometimes in what you hear. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I took you to Epcot Center, specifically to the Honey, I Shrunk the Audience show in the Imagination Pavilion. And your question last week was to tell me who sang the pre-show song for the original Honey, I Shrunk the Audience show in the Imagination Pavilion. Again, thanks to the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct, and knew that it was still one of my favorite performers from the 80s, and now the lovely and oh-so-very-talented Cindy Lauper. And so to be clear, Cindy Lauper didn't actually sing the version in Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. It was a cover version sung by a couple of performers or some other uh, kids in the background. But what I was really looking for was not the singer of that version. It was Cindy Lauper. So obviously I took Cindy Lauper or any sort of derivation of same name as a correct answer. So if you remember back to the Imagination Pavilion back in 1986, they had a 3D show there called Honey, I Shrunk the Audience where Rick Moranis reprised his role as Professor Wayne Zielinski from the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid movies. The theater where the show was housed was referred to as the Imagination Institute instead of what was now the Magic Eye Theater. And the original pre-show featured a song from Cyndi Lauper from 1986, True Colors. Now, if you're wondering how True Colors ties into Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, remember that the Imagination Institute and the entire pavilion was sponsored by Kodak, the film and camera company. Kids, you can look up what film used to be. So the cover version of Cindy Lauper's True Colors was mixed with uh, beautiful photos and transitions and music and words put up on the screen to sort of bridge that connection between what you were about to see on screen and how the true colors of your photos from Epcot Center would look beautiful when you got home, etc. Anyway, I took all of the correct entries, randomly selected one, and again, last week you were playing for 102 Ways to Save Money for an At Walt Disney World book. 
all seven of my virtual audio tours of the Magic Kingdom, a WW Radio Magic Band cover, stickers, a pop socket and stand for your phone. And I'm not sure if I included it in the prize package or not, but I'm going to add one anyway. I'm going to throw in a shirt from the WW Radio collection to this week's winner. Again, if you go to www.radio.com slash shirts, you'll see a huge selection of not just WW Radio logo shirts, but Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, geeky 80s retro t-shirts, video games, and a whole lot of Avengers Infinity War. So again, go to www.radio.com slash shirts. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Jeff Sutton. So Jeff, you use the online form. I have your address and your shirt size. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World slash Marvel Trivia Challenge. So obviously I am hyped beyond words for Avengers Infinity War. I was so excited to have Kevin on the show this week. So obviously I've got to bring in a little bit of Marvel to this week's Walt Disney World trivia question. Now we all know that the first attraction in Walt Disney World based on characters and stories from the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to be a Guardians of the Galaxy attraction in Epcot. And speaking of Guardians, you can actually meet two of them, Star-Lord and little baby Groot, over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. But those aren't the first characters from the MCU that you could meet in the Walt Disney World theme parks. In fact, for a brief time in 2016, you could meet another character from the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the parks. That's your question for this week. Who was it? Who was that character from the MCU that you could meet over in Walt Disney World. I almost gave the park away. Who you could meet in Walt Disney World in 2016. So you have until Sunday, April 29th at 11.59 p.m. to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there, and tell me what character you could, for a brief period of time, meet in the parks. Again, I'm going to give you not just the book, the audio tours, the Magic Band cover, the stickers, the pop socket, but I'm going to give you a marvelous, see what I did there? A marvelous mystery prize this week. So good luck and have fun. That is going to do it for this week's show. Thank you again so much for taking the time to tune in. Thank you, Kevin Feige, for taking the time to sit down with me. I know this is an incredibly busy and exciting week for you with Avengers Infinity War coming out in just a couple of days. I already have my tickets, more than one, for Friday and our group event on Saturday night. Speaking of which, if you want to join us in Walt Disney World for sort of a group viewing of Avengers Infinity War... Our meet of the month is going to be Saturday, April 28th from 1.30 to 3 p.m. over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. But I also have tickets for the 7.30 p.m. show over at Disney Springs in Auditorium 2. And I said, look, the more the merrier. Let's all go and see it. So if you want to come and join us for the show, go to the events page over at facebook.com slash Radio. There you'll find a link to Fandango where you can pick up and get your seats and hopefully join us for what is going to be a monumental and super exciting movie. And while you're on the events page, you can check out other upcoming events, meets of the month, group cruises, and a few other things that I am working on that I'm going to announce very, very soon. But I also want to quickly thank all of the members of the WW Radio Nation for being part of the community and family. I appreciate all the love, the help, and the support you do so very much to keep WW Radio going. And if you want to help the show and get exclusive rewards every month, like scavenger hunts, we have a private Facebook group, personalized magic band covers, special logo gear that you can only get as a member of the nation, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World and more. You can visit www.radio.com slash support. You can also get on our live monthly group video call and get some additional bonuses. And don't forget that a portion of your proceeds do go to the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America through our Dream Team project. I want to thank some longtime members like Stevenson Everett, Chuck Zitta, Beatrice Feeney, Karen Azell, and Barbara Hartman. Again, to find out more and to become part of the WW Radio Nation, you can visit www.radio.com support. 
And of course, I want to hear from you. I want to hear about your thoughts of the interview today with Kevin, the Avengers Infinity War movie, anything Disney related. And more importantly, I want you to be part of the conversation and community. So come join our Facebook group at www.radio.com slash box people. That's really where the conversations are going to happen, where you can start your own, not just about this show, but anything happening in the Disney or Marvel or Star Wars universe. Also, make sure you like the WW Radio Facebook page at facebook.com slash WW Radio and turn on notifications. This way, when I go live every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, you can watch, be part of the conversation and show. You can call in, have a chance to win some prizes, and also get notified whenever I go live elsewhere from the parks, from the resorts, from the cruise, and maybe a couple of other destinations that I have coming up very soon. If you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com, or call the voicemail. Be heard on the air, 407-900-9391. Call me from the parks. Call me from your house. Call me from the car. Call me right after you watch Infinity War and let me know what you think, and I will play it for you on the air. Listen, if I sound like I am smiling and giddy and extra excited this week, I am. And it really is thanks not just to Kevin, but it is thanks to you because of what you allow and empower me to do. And I want to try and help give you that same feeling. So if there's some way that I can help you turn what you love into what you do, let me know. I do one-on-one mentoring, group coaching, and this October, my Momentum Weekend Workshop is coming back to Walt Disney World. It's a two-day event where a small, limited group of like-minded entrepreneurs come together in an intimate setting to learn, share, discuss, troubleshoot, and more importantly, make real changes to their lives and businesses. To find out more, visit lumangelo.com slash momentum. Early bird tickets are still available. The event takes place on Saturday and Sunday, October 6th and 7th, with an optional mastermind day on Tuesday It's limited to just 50 people. We are about 45% sold out as well. Just a few spots left for the Mastermind Day. And oh, by the way, it's also during Food and Wine Festival. So there's always an additional method to my madness. Again, to find out more, to get your ticket, go to lumangelo.com slash momentum. Thanks as always to Becky Menken and the entire team over at Mouse Fan Travel. Whether you are traveling to World, Land, Disney Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, and some destinations that we're working on for the future. I've got to tease just a little bit. She and Becky and her team of agents will give you the best possible prices, all available discounts, all at no cost to you. Visit them over at mousefantravel.com. Then subscribe to Celebrations Magazine at celebrationspress.com to get a little bit of Disney magic delivered to your doorstep. And finally, and most importantly, all I ask is that if you like this show, this one or the show in general, and I hope that you do, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tell your friends that you're listening. Tweet out a link to this show. Share it over on Facebook. And please, if you can, take 30 seconds to just rate and review the show over on iTunes. Thanks to you, we have more than, I think, 15, 1,600 five-star reviews. would love for you to keep them coming. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Tina C., from Canada, who says, Lou's the most knowledgeable Disney guru. That might be a stretch, but I'll take it. He is the greatest variety of wonderful people on the show, like Kevin. Lou's an important, and Lou is an inspiration, and look forward to future shows. Thanks for keeping this Disney fan is the Disney loop, Tina. Caitlin Bronson says, I love WDW Radio. I've been a listener for a few years now. I look forward to listening to each week's episode, and some I listen to multiple times. Gets my week off to a happy start. Lou does a fabulous job each week of creating high-quality, informative, and entertaining episodes. Additionally, he personally responds to each email, which is true, which just makes me appreciate him that much more. I can't say enough good things about the podcast, hoping to one day be able to attend a meet of the month and meet Lou in person. Caitlin, I do as well. And laughing all the way says, a diamond in the rough? This podcast is the best discovery I've made in years. I look forward to each and every episode full of humor, fun, and great Disney facts. Lose an inspiration to follow your dreams, and this podcast radiates the happiness he feels for all things Disney. WW Radio is an amazing source for history, travel, tips, and food. Oh, the food. Laughing all the way. Thank you so much, Caitlin, Tina. I sincerely appreciate you again. Go to iTunes, search for WW Radio, or just go to www.radio.com slash iTunes, and I'll show you exactly how to leave a review. 
Um, I am as happy and excited as I think I ever have been this week. I feel like uh, my smile is just beaming, and hopefully you can hear it, um, not just because I got to sit down with Kevin, but because of Infinity War, because of you and the feedback and the love and the friendship and the support that you give me each and every weekend in so many ways. And hopefully you find some inspiration to start down that road or start doing that thing that you want to or that you love. And if you're trying to figure out how to do it, and if you're you're looking for a plan, well, a very wise man once said, we need a plan of attack. And it's, the answer is very simple. I have a plan, attack. And that's how Tony Stark responded to Steve Rogers and Avengers. And I want you to take inspiration from that. So whether you are a leader or in your own life or own business, leaders and and doers and successful individuals are people of action and they make things happy. So if you're looking for your plan of attack, just make your plan. Go attack. Go do that thing that you love each and every day. Do good and kind things for others. And I hope that you have the best week ever. So until next time, see ya. Hey, Lou, it's Christine Morrison calling from Flower Town, PA. I haven't called in a couple of weeks. I've been a little busy, but I did listen to your latest podcast for the Marvel, the two-part for uh, Infinity War and the recap, and I am so excited to see this movie. Uh, my son actually got me turned on to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and when we watched um, Guardians of the Galaxy, and then I loved it. At first, I didn't understand the whole raccoon thing, and so I was like, this is going to be a weird movie. I'm not interested. But then when I saw it, it was so awesome. Um, It really turned me on, and then I felt I had to go back and start watching them all. But it's awesome. I can't wait to see it. comes out this weekend. Woo-hoo! Also, I've been listening to Deep Park Radio, and I came across the coolest thing so far on there is they play the Jungle Cruise um, cue loop with all the different jokes and the old-time music, and it lasts for like an hour. I love it. So if anybody's interested in hearing all those quirky jokes and and the cool music that you don't really get to hear much of um, because you're going through it so quick, go to Deep Park Radio and listen to it. It's so cool. I love it. Um, have a wonderful week, everybody. It's finally sunny here in Pennsylvania and a little bit warm. Have a great week, and I will do my best to make it to the box. I haven't gotten there the past couple weeks because everybody needed my attention at home. So um, I'm going to try really hard this Wednesday to get in the box, and uh, I miss talking to all you guys, and uh, have a great week. See ya. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Dawn Lee. I'm calling from Hickory Creek, Texas, just north of Dallas. And I was actually calling about episode 514, like many others have. I think we've all had our share of emotional experiences at Disney, taking our kids for the first time. I celebrated my 25th wedding anniversary there. But on my 50th birthday, my kids are grown. One couldn't go with me because she had a job. And my other one was in college, and he's a resident advisor, and he had to stay and take care of the residence hall. But my husband had a trip there, so I tagged along, and I was at Epcot by myself early one morning waiting to go on a tour. And it was the typical Epcot morning where the music was beautiful and the park wasn't terribly crowded, and I was enjoying it. And I got a call from my son, who was 20 at the time, and a tornado had touched down on the campus where he was there, and he was by himself. And he was kind of freaked out, and he was kind of scared. And I was able to, you know, talk through it with him, find out that the damage was just to some buildings. Nobody had loss of life or limb, and everything was kind of okay. And after I was able to talk him down from it, I was able to walk out to those monoliths that a lot of people think are eyesores and have problems with. But when we visited during the millennial, when my kids were little, we had bought one of the squares on the monolith. And I was able to go over to the photo where my son and my daughter were. And, I mean, it was a literal touchstone where I could reach out and just touch him and kind of connect with them, even though I was there. And it was never my intention 
to buy that square so that I could reach him. It was so that a piece of him might always be there, and when he was older, he could show it to his kids. But it was kind of amazing that it worked in reverse. And that was kind of my moment that I just was so grateful there was a piece of my kid at Disney that I could reach out to when I really wanted to wrap my arms around him, and I couldn't. Anyway, I hope you have a great day, and I'll see you soon. Congratulations, all the WDW radio running team for this weekend's race. It's Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York, and I have 30 days, woohoo, until I go down to Disney World. And Lou and Becky, I hope you've got everything planned, 57 days only, until you go to Alaska and Vancouver. Oh, just think, you're going to be on the open water again, going up to those glaciers. I can't wait to see pictures, so please share those. And then I've got 160 days until we go down to Disney World again with the Sternbergs. Yay! Everybody, get ready for Infinity War. We're going to have a great time seeing that all across the nation. Have a magical day. Talk to you real soon. What just happened? Please tell me nobody kissed me. We won. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. You ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it. We're not finished yet. And then swarm after. <laughs> <laughs>